Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, brand worn by John McEnroe, Goran Ivanisevic, Gabriela Sabatini, and Novak Djokovic. Check them out at SergioTacchini.com and use the code CRAIG30 in all caps to receive 30% off of your order. The new Melbourne line looks unbelievable. A red take complete is the official towel of the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. The towel was originally created to deal with the slipping and sliding that happens in hot yoga. They are the official towel of Peloton, and the tennis towels are phenomenal. See them at aretecomplete.com. That's A-R-E-T-E-C-O-M-P-L-E-T-E.com. And use the code SHAP20 in all caps for 20% off of your order. He grew up in Ghent, Belgium, and honed his craft under the tutelage of the high-performance team at the Bulletary Academy. He was a highly touted junior, and he blasted onto the pro scene in 1998. In 2002, he got to 19 in the world, semi-final in Wimbledon, and he was always considered by his peers to be one of the most talented players in the world. The X-Man, Xavier Melisse, is today's guest. So hang on a second. So you're in Ghent, Belgium. Were you living in Sarasota? Were you living in Florida at some juncture? Or do I have that wrong? No, no, you got it completely right. I moved uh, I, I moved there when I was 17 in Bradenton because of Voluntary Academy. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I still go there. I just... I never asked for my green card, so I, with all this COVID rules and everything, uh, I can't get there. But usually I still spend the winters in uh, Bradenton, Sarasota. You still do? Yeah, yeah, I still go. Um, my best friend, Jimmy, uh, still lives there. So basically I play Albert Hall um, Seniors Tour, and then after that, uh, it's mid-December, and I go there for about two and a half months, actually, um, back to Sarasota. Talking about Jimmy Boletari? Uh No, not Jimmy. Jimmy, actually, Jimmy Nagelson, who was uh, Jimmy uh, Betsy McCormack. Oh, got it. Brother, yeah, he's my best Betsy friend. Nagelson's brother. Yeah, Jim Jimmy Nagelson. Yeah, he's my best friend, so I still go there. Gentlemen, you hear a former world number nineteen made the semis of Wimbledon. Uh, was a highly, highly touted junior in the mid nineties, and he came on the scene quick widely considered one of the most talented players really in a sense there's ever been people really have a huge respect for him and that's the x-man xavier malice hi how are you guys i'm good brother as you know we do a five set format the first set is the off the court report what are you doing in belgium straight through all this pandemic mania Uh. Uh, it's pretty tough. I mean, we can't do much here. Um, if you're over 12, you can't uh, participate in any indoor sports. Obviously, Belgium, the weather, the climate was a minus 10 a couple of weeks ago. Um, now it's better. Play a lot of paddle, play a lot of golf. Um, but restaurants are closed. You know, it's just um, it's a big, uh, <laughs> as we say, like you that's it, man. You're you're a retired tennis player. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I'd love to play. I'd like to play on the Champions Tour, you know, play seniors events. But, you know, obviously those are all, all gone. So yeah. it's a bit boring at the moment. Um, but, um, you know, it's the same for everybody uh, right now. But you said to me just before we started recording that 
you can't really move and groove out of the country. Is that true? Yeah, we now we need uh, papers for uh, essential travel. If not, you can't even drive to Holland or France or anything. So you need negative tests. You need all the essentials. So we're stuck. Um, hopefully that will change very soon because traveling, you know, as you know, is my life. So and I still enjoy it. So hopefully this all uh, goes away pretty soon. Now you mentioned golf, and if you look on your social media. Uh, I see a lot of you golfing. Has your golf gotten better than your tennis yet, or are you still a better tennis player than you are a golfer? Uh, tennis is easier for me. You know, I could play. I, I, I can, I'm, I'm okay. If I don't play for a couple months, I can pick it up and I'll be fine. With my golf game, it's a bit different. I mean, I am at a handicap three, which is not too bad, but uh, my tennis is just, you know, I know what I'm doing there. Golf, not so much. And you mentioned paddle. Is that padel, the game that has the little sandy bit? Yeah. You enjoy that? Uh, yeah. Spanish game. They play a lot in, in Spain. Uh, it's coming up huge in Belgium, especially with this pandemic, because it's a sport you play outside. And even if it's two or three degrees, you can still play. So it's becoming one of the biggest hypes uh, here in Belgium. And is the stroke production the same as in tennis or it's a different stroke? Uh, it's, it's, in a, it's in a cage, glass cage. It's a bit like uh, tennis volleys a lot um, within a, like a squash kind of type format. It's very tactical with the walls, um, but it's very, um, it's, it's easier. You know, if you play tennis, you got to be able to play a little bit to each other with paddle. It's two against two. It's easier. It's more accessible. And uh, yeah, it's, it's becoming, I, I just played, I just came, I uh, played an hour and a half just today and it's good fun. You know, it's uh, it's, it's good fun with the boys. I mean, I think I just saw that Jonas Bjorkman is like the national pad padel coach of, of Sweden. So, I mean, that's what's yeah. really coming. He's got a big club in Stockholm himself, indoor club, and uh, I, I'm looking to maybe invest in it also because it's a it's a sport that will stay, and it's like I said, it's very accessible for for anybody. So it's good. Sport. Yeah, we usually don't talk about anything but tennis on our show, but everyone's talking about this Padel, Padel. Yeah. Let's move into the second set. This is the on the court report. I think I'd like to get your impressions of you know the Australian Open and the first big news of the of the season. Yeah. We could start with the women. What were your impressions of the tournament? Um, I mean, to me, and I, I, I did a, a, another interview and I said this, to me, Osaka doesn't look like she's ready to lose. Her strokes look so, so good. Everything's in place. Mentally, she's there. Physically, she's good. She takes the ball early. She doesn't give her opponents the time. So I think as far as the winner goes, it's it's probably about picture perfect as it is right now. You know, if she stays injury free and she keeps playing like that, it should be tough to beat. You know, she's mentally very good. Do you know Wim Fissett? Um, I do actually. We're the same age. Um, he used to travel with us when we were 13, 14 year old, 14 years old, together with Oliver Rokus. Um, so he he knows a lot about tennis. He's been in tennis for a long, long time. Obviously, he you know, had a nice uh, thing going with Kleisters in the beginning. Um, but he's a good coach. I think he's a good coach in the way of he keeps their, his players pretty happy, pretty satisfied. They know what they're doing. They have their game plan. 
And I think that's one thing he does really good because he's he's been doing this with a couple of players now. Well, this guy's player time. just won 14 straight major matches, right? She just won the U.S. Open and the Australian Open back to back on on his watch. Yeah, that's a pretty good effort. Yeah, no, he's, he's it's a great effort. Uh, you know, obviously these players are already very talented, but you got to keep them happy and focused. So I think that's one thing he does really well. Um, and then besides that, I didn't see so much of the women. But I do enjoy the way that girl Brady um, hits the ball. I think her serve can improve a little bit. Um, it seems hectic at some points, um, but her strokes are, are good. And I think on clay, she could be really dangerous. She's got that forehand she can whip, and so it's a, she's a good player. That forehand looks a little bit like your forehand. Yeah, almost. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but you know what I'm saying as far as technique-wise? Yeah, it does, and she she places it well. She's got that whip. She's got a little more power. That's why I think on clay, you know, with that whip, she she'll she's she'll be dangerous. And I, like I said, I think the serve needs work a little bit. Um, when it goes in, it's really good. But she has too many misses where it's off frame and low in the net that I saw in the final two, and that's a little point she can work on. But you know, work ethic and like you say, you know, to, when she can run around that forehand, she could be uh, very damaging. And what do you say about Novak Djokovic? What do you say about Daniil Medvedev? And what that and you know, I mean, there was a lot of good tennis uh, on the men's side. You know, I enjoyed the match in adult Pass. I really like Pass. I, I love his game, the way he acts on court, the way he does. Um, I, I really enjoy it. Um, it still needs a little, little more molding, I think. I think its serve can be better uh, for such a tall guy. Same thing. But then, you know, Djokovic, I mean, all respect, what can you do? This guy comes up with the, with the huge tennis at the right moments. And, um, you know, I thought Medvedev would give him a bigger fight, a bigger match. I actually thought Medvedev would win um, with the confidence and all his top 10 wins and all the streaks. But I think physically Djokovic looked a bit better, um, played really good tennis. I mean, you know, to win three sets against Djokovic, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while for these guys to beat him. So he's, uh, he's on a track uh, to win the most, slams, the most slams, I think. Are you uh, dialed into the ATP tour? Have, did you learn anything interesting? Uh, not too much, you know, with all these things going on. I don't really know much going on. I, 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 I will be in Miami probably uh, coaching. Um, so I will get in, uh, into it a bit more. I'll probably go to Dubai and uh, Miami coaching with a player. Uh, so I'm really happy and excited about that. Come on, X-Men. You got to tell us who it is. Um, I, I traveled him two years ago. Uh, I did six, seven weeks with him with Lloyd Harris, a South African player. And for me, really good. First of all, he's a great person, which interests me the most. But his game is huge. A big, good athlete, nice guy. Great player, young. So I'm really excited to to do a couple or uh, 10, 12 weeks with him again. And uh, so I'll, I'll I'll get into it again a bit more and probably get more insights again. But it's tough to follow it from home and not knowing what's going on. You know, Xavier Melise back on the bag with uh, Lloyd Harris. I know a lot of the ladies find him to be a heartthrob. <laughs> now, 
I haven't seen a lot of his tennis. Is he a very good player or what? He's got an unbelievable work ethic. He's a really nice, respectful guy, and he can play. I mean, I'm just not just saying that because I'm going to travel with him. Um, he has a coach, Anthony, um, who's, who he's been with for, I think, probably about 10 to 12 years, a South African guy. And I'm just going to hop in for 10, 12 weeks a year. Um, but he's talented, huge serve, big athlete, big legs, good, and uh, just needs a bit of molding on the on the plane. But I think he knows where he wants to go, and um, you know we had nice chats, and he's ready for. I think he could be top fifty by the end of the year. There it is. Let's move into the third set. This is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. You know, I know you had a uh, storied and very good junior career, but where does your tennis begin? How'd you get rolling? Uh, I got rolling here in Belgium. My brother's three years older and he was into tennis. Um, nobody else in our family really was. Um, and I just kind of, I'm three years younger than my brother. So I was five. I just kind of strolled along to the club. And uh, apparently I just picked up a racket and started hitting balls against the wall. And somebody said, well, where is he taking lessons? And my mom said, well, it's the first time he's hitting balls. So this lady said, well, if this is the first time, maybe you should let him play also a little bit in a couple hours a, a week or one, one hour a week. And that's kind of how it started. And my brother was there. He was a good player um, and just kind of stayed at that club for six, seven years and they had a really good school there. They had Dick Norman grew up there. Um, so yeah, a lot of good players. And uh, Dick Norman had a great serve, man. He was a good player. Yeah, he was good. He's same. He's from the same town almost where I'm from. So so are you guys Flemish? Yeah. Dick Norman too? Dick Dick is Flemish too. Uh, yeah, Flemish. And yeah, we have the, you know, Belgium's so small, but still we got three different languages. It's kind of strange. Do you speak French too? Uh, usually, uh, the Flemish seventy percent speak French. The French don't speak Flemish because you know, who really needs Flemish at some point? You know, so it's not a language we're going to use a lot. So, what was the moment where you started getting very good? You know, when did you start traveling internationally? When did you start playing well? Yeah, um, you know, to be honest, I never thought. Well, maybe I'll become this or that. It kind of just went into it. You know, you had Oliver Rokus on the French side, and then I was on the Flemish side. We were winning everything, but we would play like summer cups, winter cups, uh, European championships together. And we were either, you know, we played the under 14s um, uh, world championships in Japan, and we, be, we, we got in second. So, you know, at that, that point, you start knowing, well, you know, we're beating everybody, we're second in the world. Um, then we won the European Championships under 16. And I think that's when you start realizing, well, maybe something's growing here. And, uh, you know, juniors went well, won a couple of tournaments. And then, you know, you got uh, IMG came to me and um, asked me what I needed, what I wanted and where I wanted to go. And I think at that point, you know, okay, this is now this is where I'm going. This is going to be my career. This is what I want to do. And this is where, uh, where I want to end up. So can you explain how that happened? Like, who, like who reached out? Was it, uh, Olivier von Lindonk or who was it? Um, I was, uh, here in Belgium. I was at the Federation and I felt that 16 and a half, almost 17 years old that I was at my, uh, at my best here, meaning we had great coaches for under 
13, 14, 15, but I didn't feel like we had enough experience to get me where I wanted to be. I didn't want to be here in Belgium anymore uh, because I wanted to train in the sun. I wanted to feel like I'm working hard. And so um, it was actually Justin Hennon's dad who, who was with IMG at the time uh, or, or was reaching out with IMG. And uh, they said, hey, we know IMG. Maybe you want to... It was Regis Brunet um, uh, from a, a French manager from IMG. Regis Brunet, very well known. Yeah, so he reached out and said, hey, listen, what do you want? We want to give you what you want. And I said, I want to train in the sun and I want to be with the best players. So he said, go to Florida. Um, so I went with my brother for two weeks. And after two or three days, I called home and I said, I, I'm not coming back. This is the place for me. And I've uh, been there ever since. You know. Were you very close with Nick when you got there? Were you right on his court right from the beginning? Uh, in the beginning, you know, I was with Fritz now. Yep. Uh, he was with Agassi for so many years. I mean, tremendous person. For me, one of my big mentors, why I love tennis so much. He brought um, tennis to the court and knowledge about life that I'll never forget. Um, so he he really got, got me going. And it was more like, okay, today, you know, the pros were in. We were still in the juniors at the time, 17. And, uh, you know, we got to train on Nick's court. You know, back in the day, it was Nick asking the people, okay, I want this guy to practice with Inquist or Rios, who was there, or Tommy Haas. And it was more the first three, four months like that. But after that, we were pretty locked in with Fritz and Nick all the time. So, yeah, great place. What did they do there that made you go from, you know, a good junior to world-class? Like, what's the difference between a good junior and world-class? I think it's just the motivation and the way they treat every player different. You know, in Belgium, we had good coaches, but everybody was the same, and we all had to have the same personalities almost. Um I liked it because Fritz was had so much insight. And then you had Nick, who was, I mean, you, you got on Nick's court and you felt like you could move a mountain. You know, you had that confidence, that motivation. He had such eye for detail. And I really, you know, Nick and I really got along. I do. I'm unbelievable person, great heart. Um, and together with Fritz, the first year for me was you know, it's it, it's a different way of, of sports than where I grew up. We were, you know, growing up in a little tiny village. And, and the, even though the federation was great, all of a sudden you come to Boletary and you got all these facilities and all these things to become a pro, you know, you open your eyes. So, um, you know, I think the mentality in sports when I moved to the States is 100% better than uh, we're pretty, I'm not going to say we're negative in Belgium, but we always look for uh, why did that go wrong or why did this or you're not doing this. While in the States, when I first got there, it was always positive. You know, uh, this is what we're going to do. You had a bad day, take the positive, do this tomorrow better. And it was just for me such a opening and brightening up of, 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 of a different way of looking at the sport. Yo, the sun shined bright, and then you, it seems like it affected your attitude with the, the whole military program. 
Uh, Balateri at that time was so good. You know, it was still in uh, Mark McCormick's hands and it was one big family. All the coaches knew each other. At night, we would play uh, soccer with the coaches. Um, everybody knew each other. Nick was great. Fritz was great. And we had a group of 10 of the best, you know, with Paul Henry, Matthew was there, uh, French. We had Federico Luzzi, who was number one junior in the world, who sadly passed away. Um, but we had such a great team with 10 of the best juniors in the world. And I mean, when you train with 10 of the best, you become better and better. And it was, it was an amazing place to practice. Was there a tournament win or a match in particular that you won where you said, that's it, man, I can be, I can be a top guy in the world? Uh, actually, I, it did. And then it was because of Nick, to be honest. I, you know, there's a big junior tournament called Eddie Herr. Um, and then two weeks later, you got the orange ball. Um, so when I won the Eddie Herr at 17, I was ready to go to orange ball. And it was Nick that said, listen, you're not going. It's exactly the same tournament. Um, it was December, and all the pros were in uh, Volatari's. You know, like I said, Rios was there, Philippouses, Haas, uh, Peter Korda, uh, everybody. And he said, listen, do you want to practice with the pros and become better, or you want to play the same tournament again in two weeks that you already won, same people? So I said, of course I want to practice with the pros. So that's, that's kind of where the transition happened. And uh, I practiced for a month with the pros, and it just uh, it went on from there. I have a funny story, actually, to share with you. I, <laughs> I was at the Philadelphia tournament in 98 that you qualified for. Yeah. For some reason, I thought that you and Marat both got wild cards, but I looked it up, and you played qualies. Uh, I think I beat Knowles and Van Lottem in the qualies. But I was sitting in a restaurant. I was there with Sampras stringing his rackets. <laughs> no way. And I was sitting in a diner, probably next to the hotel or in the hotel. I can't remember. And this kid was sitting there with a giant turkey club sandwich and a giant plate of french fries and he was talking shit he he was talking shit about Pete and it was you <laughs> and that night you went and played Pete and you played him tight yeah we i, I you were a teenage kid i i was i think i was 18 and i was 850 in the world or something <laughs> and I, when i when the draw came out i saw one kid had to play or one player had to play Pete as a qualifier and uh I still remember because my parents actually flew over from Belgium to see the to see the match, and I just signed with Adidas. And uh, my parents, the flight was late, and they came at like two one in the in the first. But I I think I I was I came within two points of winning or something. You played him super tight. I was I was like, wait, this is the because I heard you talking. You're like, man, you know, I'm not afraid to play Pete. Yeah, what I you're telling your friend, you were you were saying to him, I literally was right at the next table. Uh, no way. I mean, <laughs> to be honest, I would never disrespect a player, especially a, a legend like Pete. But I was never afraid to play anybody. Yeah, I felt like my tennis was good enough to to play with everybody. But obviously, he was number one in the world at that time. And I was just super excited, and I played really, really well. I still remember that 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 match like it was yesterday. And I think I was up; uh, it was five four for me in the third set, and I was at thirty all. And he hit an amazing shot, and then I hit a good one after, and I could have won. But you know, I think after 
It would have been great to win, but it was better than I probably just lost. <laughs> Did you reach your potential? How would you, let me ask you that. Did you reach your potential? I, I'm going to answer this honestly. Um, did I? Uh, no. Um, I feel there was one stage in my life at 27 years old where I had worked out like crazy. I was in the best shape of my life. I had won a Chennai tournament against Nadal, I Kubek in the finals, and I won doubles that week. Uh, two weeks later, I won Delray Beach, I beat Blake, everybody won doubles against. I was in the best shape, and I felt like that was my moment to become top 10 or top 5, because I was super strong mentally, I was on a cloud, and I snapped my wrist. And that's the only thing um, that I regret. Um, I do regret some other things, obviously, you go through life. Um, but I do feel like that was my moment because I, I was 20 in the world and I had no more points. I already taken 500 points. I had six months of no defending and I snapped my wrist. And, you know, when you're out for six, seven months in tennis, you drop back to 300. It takes a year to come back. And it was tough because then you're 28 and a half, 29. Um, it's a long way back. Yeah, it was I, a long way back from that wrist injury. Yeah, and and it, actually, to be honest, I I enjoyed tennis more after that injury because I realized what I was missing during all that work while while you were injured. Um, but the potential, um, I, I think, it went too good in the beginning without really pushing myself. So I got wild cards in the beginning when I was eighteen, nineteen. In Indian Wells, I beat Ivanisevic, excuse me, I beat Sanguinetti and I lost to Moya. But everything was just rolling, you know, I was going from 150 to 110, I was going to 80. All of a sudden, I'm 22, I played semis in Wimby, I'm 20 in the world. I was, I mean, obviously I was working out and practicing, but I think it would have been better for me to get my ass kicked in the beginning to realize what I really had to do. And that's one thing that's, if I would have done it a little bit sooner, I would have probably realized I had to work probably that 10% harder. And then maybe I would have been top 10 a bit longer, but you know, things happen. And, and what else do you regret? I mean that, you know, like I said, that's one of the mistakes physically, I should have been stronger. Um, I was working out, but not to the fullest, but things were going well. So, you know, if things wouldn't have gone uh, well, then maybe I would have realized, well, I need to be stronger. I need to be in better shape and I need to do it better. Um, and then obviously, you know, Miami, <laughs> I went crazy on the court one time. Um, I kind of lost my cool. Those are things I regret, but you know, it happens. You're in the heat of the moment. I'm, you know, it's not a regret. It's more an embarrassment at the time. Um, but my biggest regret would be, would be, especially in the beginning, the first two or three years, if I would have known that before, then, you know, things came too easy. So when things come easy, I mean, I'll give you a story how it came easy. When I went and I was 850 in the world or 350 or something, I went with a friend to the Mexican tournament. Um, it was, I had time off, but it was at the end of the year and there was a Mexican tournament um, and in Mexico City. And then there was Bogota tournament in Colombia. 
And he said, well, come with us. He was coaching Alainawi at the time. And I went with him and he said, just sign in. Cause it was kind of my holiday. And he said, just sign in for qualies, um, have fun, go out, do whatever you want. It's a holiday. And I actually went out eight nights out of 10 qualified, played the finals, went to 150 in the world, got a special exempt, kept partying and went to Colombia and beat Mooster, who was two in the world. So that's where sometimes you think, well, I don't need the workout because this is fun and you can go out. So it's, it's a, it's a wrong perception of what you have to do. Um, but there was a bit my downfall in the beginning, I think. You've posted wins over so many world number one, so many players. What was the reason that your uh, major results, you never really ended up excelling being in those business matches at the back end of the majors? Was it because of fitness? Was it because did you get tight? What was it? Um, I, I, See, because because yeah. you're one of these guys that could beat anyone on any given day in the world. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in the beginning stages, it was fitness. I never got tight. I never had stress or anything. Obviously, when you surf for it in quarterfinals, Wimbledon, and 8-7 in the fifth, you get tight a little bit. But I never really got tight. The only time I did get tight was in the semis of Wimbledon because I broke Nalbandian 2-1 in the fifth, and then I started thinking, well, if I just serve good, then I'll be in the final. Well, once you think that in sports, you know, it was five five minutes and it was bye-bye. So, um, but... I was super, I, I knew my tennis, I could beat anybody. But when you play a number one, you're, you're just more motivated. And, you know, that's the reason I beat Djokovic and Nadal, Federer, Safine, Kafelnikov, just because for that reason. And then when I played a number 90 in the world, I didn't, nah, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I didn't feel the challenge. So I could, I could lose my my concentration went down a little bit and I didn't feel, I felt, and, and again, I don't want to be arrogant or cocky, but I felt my tennis was better than these guys. But you know what? These guys were working as hard as they could and they deserve to be there. And at that stage in the beginning, I, I didn't realize that. Your best moment on tour? Uh, I mean, you know, obviously Wimbledon for me was, was I love Wimbledon, especially um, because it's close to my heart with the family McCormick, uh, you know, as IMG tournament, um, uh, that was the best. But, I, you know, the best, uh, a couple more good feelings or your first title. You know, I had lost six finals before. After a while, you start doubting, well, can I do it in the final? And then, uh, you know, I won in Delray Beach. I mean, it felt so good. And then obviously with Oliver Rokas to win doubles at the French, uh, not just to win the French, but also to do it with the guy that I had traveled with since we were 11, 12 years old. So that was a really cool moment also. Yeah, I mean, your final eight club of Paris, of Wimbledon. Yeah, not in... Do you um, take advantage of that? Do you go Do you go up to the final eight club? And yeah, I mean... Knock definitely. back a few martinis, get your friends over there? Uh, yeah, I yes. mean, that's what you played for, right? I mean... <laughs> You know, and to be honest, it, it, in, in, at the French, it's really nice because you get this badge called past champion because you won the double. So it's a really cool feeling. You get in everywhere. You see your pals back. And like you say, you know, you don't have to drink sparkling water anymore. You get a couple of cocktails in and, and meet each other for night and stay out. So it's, it's a great, uh, great time in Wimbledon and, and the French. 
did you enjoy being a pro tennis player? Did you love it? Did you love being on tour or did it, did you go up and down with it? Uh, in the beginning, I went up and down with it. You know, it's, I think, like I said, when I got injured, I started appreciating a lot more. All of a sudden I always said, oh, well, tennis, you know, I like it, but it's, you know, but once you get injured and you realize how much you actually miss it, then you actually love the game. And I think that's why today I still play the Champions Tour. Obviously, uh, I'm glad I get invited, but I absolutely love it. And it's actually too bad that, like, we act on Champions Tour, we laugh, we meet with sponsors, that sometimes we can't do that enough on the Pro Tour because it's, it's a totally different world. And it's actually a nice, nice way of giving back and stuff. So I, I, I absolutely love it. Yeah. Did you find the locker room a unpleasant place or did you enjoy the locker room? No, I enjoyed the locker room. You know, I, I got along with 99% of the players. Locker room is a very important place because that's where it starts. Um, it's how guys look at you. Um, if you behave professional in the locker room, they get, you know, you know, Feather wins 60% of his matches in the locker room already. You know, it's, it's, it's very important in the locker room. Yeah, you laugh and you want to be friends and it's all pretty real, but it starts in the locker room. Your match starts there and people, you know, even though you're joking around, everybody sees what everybody's doing and it's a very important place. Let's move into the fourth set. This is what we call the 10-ball scramble. I just say it, and you say what comes in your mind. You ready? All right. Your current racket. Broken. <laughs> no brand? You don't play with a certain brand? No, I do. I, my whole life, Prince. I love Prince. I was with Prince since I was 14 years old. Xavier Melisa, Prince player. Loved it. Fantastic. Your grip size. Uh, grip three with a butt cap five. Four and three eighths. What's that? You, you, you four and three eighths grip. Yeah, yeah. But with uh, a bigger yeah. butt cap. With a bigger, because I was very loose holding it and I needed a little bit of grip on the bottom. How do you string your racket? Uh, very tight. Um, you know, I was at my major years, I was at about 30 to 31 kilos, 29, 30. So that's about 66 pounds, I think. Xavier so Melisa strings it tight. Do you, do you still do that, or you, you you loosened it up since then? I still do. You still play with it tight. Yeah, and I play with a very shitty string. <laughs> I'm not going to say shitty, but it's a string that costs $4 or $5. What string is that? First, I played a long time with Fiber Tour, um, Synthetic Gut. I mean, nobody played with that. Um, and I played with it until they ran out of it. So... I called Japan Babylon or, or Babylon called Japan France. I took them all. So now I play with another same uh, synthetic uh, string. Hang on a second. So you beat all those players with like a terrible, cheap, synthetic cut. Exactly. That's what you play with. That's it. My whole life. Yeah. I tried to mix it up. Actually, a good story is I played Delray Beach. My coach was Kelly Jones. I played Delray Beach and he told me to mix it up. Um, I played with Luxalon and Maestring, mixed it up and felt horrible, but we kept going at it. And I was playing Jeff Morrison and I at the it was one set all, I was playing horrible. It was, and um I was I I had given one string with my regular old 
shitty string. Got it back at 4-1 down in the third. I was so happy. I beat him, and I won the tournament. How about that, man? That's a good way to do it. <laughs> exactly. Wins a great, that's a great win. Uh, did you save your credentials? No, and I kind of regret that. Um, I was never the guy who was doing too many, you know, all the good stuff and the good memories are, are in my head. So um, I know I never saved them. Who was your, who was a player you just hated to play? You just couldn't beat? Sebastian Grosjean. We had the same, same style and I was always just short playing. You know, I just, yeah, he would always beat me. It's just, I, yeah. Sebastian Grosjean. Yeah, he was my dark horse. Who did you love to just murder? Who did who 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 could you not lose to? Uh, Clement, another French guy. Even <laughs> though we had very tight ones, <laughs> he would yeah. Him and Vincent Spadia, we played a couple of battles, but yeah, I always seemed to have the edge. And yeah. Arnaud Clement and Vince Spadia, you just used to pistol whip them. <laughs> your greatest win? Is there a match that just stands out as by far your greatest win? Uh, I mean, greatest, uh, you know, uh, I, I mean, uh, beating the number one guys, you know, I beat Safin a couple of times, uh, great guy, uh, greatest win. I mean, probably then Krychek because it was quarterfinals, uh, ex-champion at Wimbledon quarterfinals, 9-7 in the fifth. Um, you know, those those are wins you don't. I'm sure he wants to. We still laugh about it. You know, he still says, how could I lose to you and stuff? So <laughs> I see him on the Champions Tour. But great guy. Um, but, you know, to to go through on a 9-7 in the fifth. You beat Krychek 9-7 in the fifth at Wimbledon. What year was that? Uh, that was the year I went to semis in tw uh, tw uh, 20... 2002, right? Yeah, 2002. Yeah, 2002. Your favorite tournament? Um, I mean, I loved, like I said, I love Wimbledon because we had the IMG house. My parents were there. We would all have, um, you know, I knew the IMG family very good. So I knew all the chefs, all the stuff. And it was just such a great place, you know, playing Wimbledon at night. We would go to the IMG house, have some food there. They would cook for us. And, you know, with the family that I was close, it was just, uh, yeah, it's uh, memories I, I, I'll never forget. Your favorite city? Any city in the world, obviously. Um, I, I loved Sydney. Great city. Um, never played very good there. But Sydney, New York, I like. Not to live, but um, love the vibe there. Um, Melbourne was great. Um, I, there's so many. We went to great cities. Your favorite court? Center Court, Wimbledon. That place was so loud. Your favorite forehand? Inside out. Your favorite backhand? No, cross court. I would never hit it down the line. <laughs> you couldn't hit a down line backhand? I could, but I never did. I didn't want to miss. I hate missing. <laughs> hate missing? Yeah, don't want to miss. No, I actually, I did it a lot more at the end of my career, but everything. I still remember Agassi, I think, says it in his book, too. I had to play this guy from Belgium, and my coach said, He's really good, but his backhand goes cross-court all the time. Unbelievable. Yeah. They, they, that was the scouting report on you. You never hit a downline backhand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, if it's in Agassiz's book, it's official. <laughs> the most cavalier thing you ever did with prize money right out of the office. 
like the, the 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 wildest thing you ever did, like just walking out of the office with the check? Uh, I mean, uh, to be honest, my parents always taught me and had a good education. I never wanted to spend it all. But I would think probably after the French Open, I think I went straight to the dealership and just got a new car. So my mom wasn't happy. But What car did you get? Um, I think it was a Mercedes here in Belgium. Yeah. You win the, win the French Open double straight to the car dealership. Yeah. Well, first I got drunk that night, and then the next day I drove home and got a new car. Fantastic. Uh, the, the best exhibition you ever played? Uh, Do you ever get, like, helicoptered in from, you know, in Uzbekistan or anything kind of kind of wild? Uh, no, no helicopter. I mean, we played in the Bahamas at Nosey's, Nosey's event, and we always used to – there were so many players from Florida that they would uh, – do the private jet uh, all the way while it wasn't long, you know, Sarasota, Bahamas. So that was a great event. Um, but to play in the Albert Hall at the end of the year, what a, what a venue to play in. I mean, for our listeners, there's a, a seniors event, a champions event at the Royal Albert Hall in London. And it's like, you know, it's a magical thing. Uh, it's, I mean, every year I've played it seven years now. It is the way they put the court, you know, because this concert is there, they put it overnight and then just, you know, it's, you know, it's fun. You say one word and it, because it's a concert hall, it echoes and it's so good. So, you know, I always say if you fart there, you're in trouble. <laughs> Let's move into our fifth and final set. This is the king of the court. If you could be the king of tennis and make a change in the sport, uh, what would it be? Ha. <sighs> A change. Um, I would stay with the two serves. I know there's been talk about it to maybe go to one serve, but I don't see, you know, tennis as it is right now, where it is, is, is doing pretty damn good. Um, I did enjoy a couple of those, uh, you know, playing to four, um, a couple of events like that. You like those fast sets. I did. I did because you, you got to go from the, from the first ball. You know, if you lose your serve, you lose that set almost. So I did enjoy that. Um, I don't think the better player wins uh, in those formats, but it is exciting. Um, but, you know, I, I like the tennis the way it is. You know, people say it's, you know, like when it's five sets, everybody loves those. You know, when you have an adult Titsi Pass going seven, five in the fifth, I enjoy those. You know, people want it quicker, but sometimes I don't think it will be good for the sport. It's like almost more chapters in the book, right? When those matches go long and strong like that. Yeah, I mean, I understand they want to shorten it up like you don't have a Isner Mahout for three days going on, you know, <laughs> and they've changed that a little bit. I mean, but how many times does that really happen, you know? So I feel like the excitement comes from those matches and people will remember that match forever. So do you want to take that away from players and fans? Not always, not always 100% on the same page with that. Hey, man. You know, as I said, I, I, I first saw you go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Pete Sampras in 1998 at Philadelphia, and I strung Pete's rackets for that match. So, you know, it's been, it's, you know, been a pleasure to, to watch your career, and, and, and you're always just so dangerous. I just can't thank you enough for coming on the show. No, thank you for inviting me. I mean, I really enjoy talking tennis, especially um, with this knowledge uh, that you have, and uh, I can't believe you were actually – 
eavesdropping on my conversation when I was. <laughs> Brother, I was right on it, man. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, the X Man, Xavier Melise. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your week, and you are released. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Huge thank you to Xavier Melise, and thank you to Sergio Tacchini. Check them out at SergioTacchini.com and use my code Craig30 at checkout to receive 30% off of your order. Once again, a red take complet is the official towel of the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. They are A-R-E-T-E-C-O-M-P-L-E-T-E.com. The towels are an unbelievable gift for your tennis team, your friends. Use my code SHAP20 in all caps to receive a 20% discount. If you have not done it yet, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, share the show with your friends. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released. Released.